0: Welcome um, back to the Like a Bigfoot Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward, and this is number 195. And I have to say this right off the bat: this episode is awesome. Um, I get a chance to chat with Cody Townsend, um, who is in the midst of probably the greatest adventure project going on right now. Uh, it's called the 50. And we'll get into it in the podcast, but just to kind of give you an overview, um, Cody is a professional skier and recently he has turned into a ski mountaineer um, and he is in the middle of attempting to do something unprecedented. Uh, Basically, there's this book called the 50 Classic Ski Descents of North America and Cody is trying to climb them all and then ski down all 50. Uh, It's an epic adventure, an epic project. Um, And not only is he doing this, but he is filming it and making this really cool docu-series on YouTube. Uh, It's one of the best adventure documentary series out there, uh, especially ones that are currently going on. I think he has one more episode of the year Um, which unfortunately, which we'll get into, uh, had to be cut short this year. Um, But he has one more coming out next week. Uh, But it's fantastic. It's really high-quality filmmaking, but it's also just this really interesting exploration into adventure. Cody is really open and authentic, and he talks about uh, the ups and downs of this journey Uh, along the way. He shows you how he assesses risk uh how he basically decides which routes are open and at which time uh it's it's absolutely fascinating um and he's very open about you know times where he's not feeling the best or times where uh he's feeling great and there's episodes that are really goofy and hilarious and there are episodes that are absolutely breathtaking and terrifying and like on the edge of your seat uh intense and i've watched a handful of these with my six-year-old daughter and it was just funny because her reactions out loud were basically how i was feeling you know as i was watching them she was basically describing when she would be like oh my gosh like what i was like i'm thinking the same thing um long story short they're amazing you should stop this podcast right now and immediately start just binge watch all of them they're so good um i know for me personally i'd watch them every watch an episode every morning before i went to school uh it was this nice little adventure fix and now um you know being on a in a stay-at-home order lockdown situation uh it's a really cool way to To dream about the adventures to come in all of our lives, uh, you know, and so to be able to sit down and talk with Cody was one of the coolest experiences I've had um, doing the podcast, because like I said, I'm a I was a, am a huge fan of of what he's putting out there and, and, you know, and talking with him, it was just incredible. Uh, he's a super fun, energetic guy. Um, really, really good at telling stories, really, really good at just explaining his philosophies, uh, about adventure and really about, you know, how he kind of thinks about this project. Um, so yeah, so let's get into it. This is, uh, like a Bigfoot number 195 with ski mountaineer, Cody Townsend. Thanks for coming on, dude. I'm super excited to talk with you. Yeah, no, thanks for thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, no, it's a good time to be uh, essentially talking, not in person right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was just telling my wife this actually, I have three daughters and my wife, and I was like, it's just nice talking to a dude.
1: <laughs> uh yeah i can see that you know um i feel like eventually if i do have a family i'll probably be in the same boat be like sequestered to a house full of females that just
0: rule over me
1: i don't know could could go the other way who knows yeah who knows? I'm, I'm fine with either one but just uh yeah every once in a while it's nice to talk with a guy
0: yeah exactly yeah we were talking last night she was like if you could pick anybody to be quarantined who would it who would it be And I was, like, just naming a bunch of dudes. And she's, like, not, like, Scarlett Johansson or something. And I'm, like, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. I just want to, you know. (laughs) know. Hang out with my buddies. Yeah, exactly. I'm, like, just watch TV with my buddies. What do you mean? Uh, But, yeah, man. So, um, first of all, I'm having you on because, speaking of watching TV, the one thing I've actually kind of binge-watched through this whole thing has been your YouTube series, The 50, which honestly and truly is one of the best things on youtube
1: well thank you that's uh that's a really awesome to hear
0: it's so good man like especially right now as you know to to watch it and just dream of the adventures to come for for all of us out there you know um it's just it's really inspiring really cool um and yeah man i want to kind of talk all about that today for sure
1: Yeah. Well, you and me both, because I'm, you know, doing the same thing as everyone else right now and wishing I was on adventures as well and wishing I could continue the project. And, uh, I I still have episodes in the bag that are going to continue to come out during this, but, uh, we're in the prime time season for our production and I'm sitting at home. So, um, I think we're all, we're all alike in that, that we're all dreaming about uh, a return to normalcy and, uh, a return to the life of getting to go play and have fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man, for sure. Well, uh, the first thing I have to ask you about though, isn't, doesn't have anything to do with the 50, um, your 2014 <laughs> line of the year, which I'm sure you've talked about a billion times at this point. But, dude, that was the craziest video I think I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, um, it was one of the crazier ones i would ever seen, and it just seemed almost actually separate from reality. Um, I'll actually never forget having skied that line and it being kind of in a a dream of mine for many years and finally getting through it and just, you know, going through that that emotion of, like, of of completing a dream that you've that's been in your mind for for such a long time, and then I went back home that evening, and because of the magical the magic of digital cinema, I was able to watch the video footage of it. And I just remember sitting, watching it, just like holy, like I don't know if you can swear on this podcast. You can totally I swear, man. Go, yeah, I was like, holy shit, what? <laughs> that's what it looked like. Like, yeah. oh my God, that was ridiculous. Like that's me in there. Like, um, yeah, I know the the footage just turned out insane, and yeah, it went completely viral. and yeah, it was kind of kind of crazy, really, that uh, the amount of uh, people that saw it and uh, kind of how crazy viral it went.
0: yeah, how how did that dream form? so I guess I guess I'll describe it really quick, but you guys should just totally stop the podcast right now and look that up but you're going down this couloir is that the correct term
1: yeah yeah there's this uh couloir um it's up in the todrilo mountains in alaska and it's this very narrow hallway of of snow so rock on both sides and uh you know this hallway has had like 200 foot walls and then actually went into like a full tunnel at one point where yeah. there was some chalk stones stuck up in in the top of it and that's how narrow this thing was um and the thing was probably about 2000 vertical feet it's in alaska it's super steep um it just looked like a god came in and put uh hit uh this mountain with a cleaver and just like pulled it out (laughs) immediately it's just like perfect slice in the mountain and the first time i saw it I actually didn't even think it was skiable because you can kind of see that stuff but they're just like cracks in the mountain and then as we kind of uh, got the right angle on it, cause you could only see it from the right perfect angle. Um, you could see there was snow in it. And that's when I, all of a sudden, it was just like, Oh my God, I got to go look at this closer. Um, so yeah, I got uh, dropped off at the near the top, kind of had to hike down into it, um, which was pretty sketchy. Actually, I went by myself and was like climbing down uh, this little pitch that was hanging over like a, 500 foot cliff to get to the entrance and then got to the entrance and was like, Oh my God, this thing goes through. And, um, yeah, then spent a couple more weeks like thinking about it, waiting for the snow to reset perfectly and, and did it. Um, yeah. And and the dream, I guess, for it started years before that of just skiing coulars like that. Um, not quite like that, but, um, you know, skiing coulars, and most of the time, skiers ski coulars. we ski them slowly you know that's the safe way to do things you just kind of you make hop turns way your way down it you do like a thousand turns down a, a two thousand vertical foot couloir and um, that's like the traditional way and then it was like six years prior where i did this one classic couloir called terminal cancer and i did it with a uh, legendary snowboarder jeremy jones and he was like we should flash this thing he's like we should ski it fast and he took off and just was like ripping down it, you know, not his board never went fully perpendicular to the fall line was just like banging out tiny little high speed solemn turns just to control his, his speed was going like 40 miles an hour down through it. And then I did it and I was just like, oh, my God, that was like the raddest sensation. And, you know, it felt like when you watch Star Wars and they're flying uh, <laughs> the jet fighters through the Death Star, you know, you're just like. Uh, you get to a point where you can't stop and you're just controlling your speed and just like hanging on for dear life. But you're also just like watching the walls go by. And that kind of that one inspired me to be like, I got to find like, a was super rad version of this in Alaska. Cause the one in, in uh, called terminal cancer, it's like, it's a rad couloir, but it's not super steep. It's not, not especially challenging. And I was like, I kind of want to find like the real version of this. And uh so I spent like six years kind of with that in the back of my head, every time I'd go to Alaska looking for something like that. Um,
0: and then, and then I found it. That's crazy, man. I, I, first of all, I love the star Wars reference. I'm just like, stay on target, stay on target. Like as you're going down, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, you, you have, you have like, absolutely no escape route you are in. Like it is, I kind of uh, paralleled it with being in a giant barrel at jaws or something. There's one way and it is otherwise you're getting destroyed. And so uh you're in those situations and it's just like puts you in the like you you get in those flow states you get in those crazy like everything slows down and you're just like even though you're going 60 miles an hour um the walls feel like they actually slow down and you're in this hyper intense focus and yeah it's a it's
0: a nuts kind of feeling that is crazy plus like i mean for most athletes and this i mean obviously this is going to be different for your sport but it feels like flow state you kind of have to like work your way up into it like it takes a little bit of time you know but you know you're flying up there getting dropped off and then you just have to like go from just kind of not doing it like you're standing there to going straight down this like right away and you almost for something like this like it feels like you have to get into flow state within like 0.2 seconds (laughs)
1: Yeah. And I think that's kind of like what downhill skiing and skiing is, is like you, you kind of just almost naturally get into that, but you do have to mentally prepare yourself. And I yeah. think, you know, my childhood of being like a downhill ski racer and then just doing this forever, you know, it's not something you just drop into, um, you know, when you're 18 years old and you think you can do it. Like it it took a long time to get to that point. And, um, you know, I, from performance in ski racing I always knew that I was in I would perform my best when I was in a calm state even though you're going you know 75 to 90 miles an hour in a speed suit and just a helmet and then you are flying off jumps I so go 120 feet but if I was super calm had no fear but was like uniquely confident then I would do well and so for a line like the crack that was the line that the line of the year um I remember being on top of it I think I was just so confident from prior experiences, from my mental preparation that I was on top, and I was like in a Zen like just super calm state. Um, you know, every little detail was just like so focused and so just like clear-headed. I remember one of my really close friends, who's the cinematographer, was standing next to me, and he was shooting from the top down um, the that kind of angle. And he, the first time in my life I could tell he was like super nervous and he was like you you got this buddy you you got it and I'm like yeah dude like you're why are you so nervous you're kind of freaking me out like <laughs> I was just in like such a focused state so then when I do drop in it just like boom you're yeah. instantaneously in that flow state and I always refer to like I did a little thing like I know there was this moment in there where I had this conversation with myself and um where I had to make a little decision because I saw something that had changed. And uh this slough, like a little mini avalanche, it's not an avalanche, you just call it slough, started to kind of surprise me and it was coming down right next to me. And I uh had this conversation with myself, like, oh like slough. It just I didn't expect slough to pop out. Okay. And then I remember thinking to myself, do I go or do I stop and like wait for it to pass by and then keep skiing? And in that and then I just said to myself, like, no, go. Yeah. And I realized like so my GoPro was on and your GoPro has a very similar range of of, of eyesight that your your eyes do. And I could so I could see when the slough came into frame of the GoPro and then I can see where I kind of make my decision and like get my skis to start going. And it was point three seconds. <laughs> and I had this like full conversation with myself in 0.3 seconds and it's just yeah those flow states are they're wild you know you're like I can read a book in the time it takes uh to you know click a, a half a second off it's it's I don't know much about it but I'm pretty fascinated by it yeah
0: yeah do you how often do you find yourself kind of getting into that flow state um you know it's,
1: it's The one thing is it's less and less often, but um, you generally are getting really into it when you're going very fast on a pair of skis, jumping off a very big air, Um, or you can kind of get it in climbing situations too, which I'm now more familiar with when you're kind of adrenaline and endorphins are running full charge and uh, you're climbing up something. And even though you're going slow, you can kind of get into that flow state and just everything kind of moves in sync without without even talking. Um, so it, it's not often, you know, I kind of tend to f- feel in skiing, if you're getting into that state, you, you're probably taking a lot of risk to get into that state and yeah. you don't want to be taking that much risk all the time. Yeah. But, sure. you know, there's there's ver- various levels of it, uh, I find too, just like making pow turns, you can kind of get into it. But, you know, it's really when the matrix starts happening is when everything is on the line
0: yeah man well so how did the 50 project come about um i know it's based off of this book that's like the 50 best uh i mean i guess you could probably explain it better than i can
1: yeah well so it actually you know what it started at 2014 and the crack um that's when the 50 project truly started and it was because i was a like a professional free ride, big mountain skier. And I was uh, in ski movies and it was all about jumping off cliffs doing tricks off cliffs. Um, I was focused all my stuff in Alaska and skiing steep lines, super fast is like a very visual style of skiing. And, um, I had always had dreams that were coming up through this. I spent fifteen years doing that side of the sport and every year you're kind of thinking of what you want to do and training and working for that. Well, the crack was kind of like my last dream. Um and I'd started to beat my body up so bad and started to do get to the level where I thought I was like, This is the level I want to be at as far as what I can do in the mountains. And when the crack happened, it was kind of this, well, what's next? And my mind was going back and forth, So like, do I try to top that? Do I try and, um, you know, continue down this path and see if I can continue to one-up myself every year? And, you know, at that point in my life, I'd lost probably around 20 friends um, to skiing, um, you know, so unbelievably dangerous sport. Um, around that time, we'd just lost, like, five very close friends, heroes of mine, people I grew up with skiing. And, uh, you know, I realized that path was probably had one ending, and I didn't want that ending to happen. So I started seeking outwards and I started thinking of kind of new ways to learn in the mountains. And that's when I started turning my attention to more human powered kind of trips. Um, that very next year, I went on my very first like self-guided, so no helicopters, no guides there, no lodge. And went on my first two uh, big expeditions. One was up in Northern BC. We snowmobiled in and camped out for two weeks and were you know scouring this range that rarely ever sees humans and going like hundred and ten miles in on our snowmobiles and and climbing big peaks and um just uh you know like kind of exploring on our own and then I went to Svalbard as well um in winter and camped out for my very first time, and just like kind of started doing that slow down kind of mentality and really got kind of hooked by it um. And then in the meantime, I started kind of knowing that I was into that. I started looking elsewhere. I went to the Himalaya. Um, I did European kind of ski mountaining trips. And I really realized that I was like, I love North American uh, mountains. I love the snowpack here. There's so much still to explore here as opposed to Europe, which has been pretty thoroughly, everything has been pretty much skied at this point. And, um, I turned to that book, this book called the 50 classic ski descents of North America and was flipping through it. I'd had the book for years, but all of a sudden it like called on me. It was like, you should do these. These are, this is your list. This is these, you should ski these lines. Um, cause a couple of them really stood out to me. It was like kind of lifetime checklist. I'm like, those are buck- on the bucket list and then kind of dawned on me. It was like, well, why don't I just do those three? Why don't I try all 50 <laughs> and, uh, hence the 50 projects the 50.
0: That's amazing, man. Well, so what's like, what is it that hooked you about slowing it down and climbing up is, I mean, the thing that draws me to mountains and, uh, you know, and obviously like I do like trail running and, and things like that, but it's the idea, like you're doing it all yourself. Like you don't need anybody, you don't need anything. You just need your knowledge and your, like, know-how to get you to the top, you know? Um, is that is that kind of the same feeling in ski mountaineering?
1: Yeah, I would I would say that. And I think it's where you touched on is it's a lot more mental side of things. Like, um, with, obviously, the free ride performance stuff of it, it's very physical. And there's a mental aspect to it as well. Um, but for the most part, you... A lot of the decision making is out of your hands, or you know you're you're only focused on a few days, and you're really only spending a little bit of time on the face like a minute to ski down a big face and when you're climbing up for your own lines, you know and all of a sudden you're spending four to six hours up it, and you've got so much more variables and danger to deal with that you have to be far more precise in your decision making and precise in your knowledge of snow and mountains and you know, as I started getting into it, I realized there was this whole world of the mountains I hadn't learned yet. Um, and I kind of took this project as, like, a learning thing. Like, I, I've said this many times, like, there is far better ski mountaineers that are more bold, that are more, um, that are more fit, that, is a, like, eclipse me on any day of the week. And, could probably look at a lot of these lines and I was like, these are simple. Why is he scared on it? And I, and I accepted that from the very first part of this was I took this as a learning experience. I was like, this is a challenge where I'm going to be kind of forced to learn all this stuff, uh, forced to learn about the mountains more, forced to learn about your physicality of getting up um, through this entire process. So um, I think that learning aspect was what drew me in. And then I guess it was also just the challenge, you know, um, yeah. I, I'm kind of always drawn to challenges and goals and here it was, this is, this is it. This is a big challenge and a big goal. One I don't know if I can do, I don't know if anyone could do, but might as well try.
0: Yeah. Well, and is there something to it? Like the whole, like having a list kind of deal, you know, and I got to imagine when you fi- when you finish one, and you go back and you check it off the, the list, like it just, there's an awesome feeling there.
1: Yeah, there is, but you know, honestly for skiing, the list is a detriment to me. Okay. Um, so uh, objective-based ski mountaineering and objective-based skiing is uniquely dangerous because it changes your mindset. You are essentially going like, I'm going to the top of something and this is my goal. Whereas like skiing to me, the safest way to do it is you let what you ski what the mountains let you ski. So if the the line in the book says the northwest face of uh, such and such mountain is is the line you gotta ski, you're in the vicinity, but you know, southeast faces are actually safe that day. If you didn't have the book and the checklist, you'd just go ski the southeast face. But with the book and on there, you 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 have to go for the northwest. So that's where like lists are actually really dangerous. And it was a big part of me getting over this and committing to it was like, how is my mental state and decision-making in the mountains going to be affected by, um, by this list? And will I all of a sudden get to a point where I'm like, Oh, like, screw it. I just got to go for it. And, you know, it's on the list. And would you put yourself in a dangerous position because of that? So um, yeah, I, the the list itself is a detriment to me. Um, it's part of it, but it's also like, you know, I don't like that it's a list because a lot of my theories of skiing are, you know, you, you stay flexible to what the mountains, uh, dictate. You don't try and dictate your will on the mountains.
0: Yeah. Well, I've heard you talk about your three kind of rules of the 50 project. Um, which, you know, makes a lot of sense to me and I think the i can not I can't I'm pretty sure the first rule is just like be safe on this.
1: Yeah, it's actually just technically don't die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which um yeah, no, rule number one is don't die. Um and you know, it sounds obvious, but you kinda have to put that in your the the front of the list because like I said, I've lost a lot of friends to the mountains, and not for any reasons of them not putting that on the list or whatnot. Yeah. But it's just like I have to have that in my my head at all times yeah. because I I do want to continue to to live and be an old skier and do all the things in normal life. But um, I, and I kind of want to help, essentially potentially influence people that are, like you can do this stuff and you can do it safe, but you just you know. Well, there's got to be certain things involved like patience and time and evaluation and experience that, that go into doing it safely. And so that's
0: honestly like one of the best parts of your series is you show that and you demonstrate it through your actions. So the whole evaluating the snow you, you go through and it shows you doing this and um, you know, even turning around or not going t- all the way to the top. Like uh, I feel like when people watch, you know, like the YouTube clips of that are just like one minute long of someone skiing down something completely badass. Like, it's really cool. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, they're missing that lesson. And, and I feel like what you're doing now with this with this project is actually uh, a lot of is probably given a lot of benefit to a lot of people about this
1: yeah well it was and it wasn't altruistic in my way of doing that i actually just found it personally fascinating yeah um uh you know when i started to get into this and started to learn uh how to essentially evaluate the mountains for the way up and the way down not just the way down um i was like this is all fascinating and there's such this like unbelievable like depth of knowledge that goes into it and it's part science and it's part art um and it's I just was like, this is really interesting. This whole process to get, get to just to the top of the line and then ski down it. So when I was thinking about the series, you know, I was telling people early on, I'm like, it's going to be like 80 to 90 percent not skiing, which is, you know, I spent 15 years being a professional skier and all you show is you're skiing. So it was kind of anti what was out there, and um, I, I would say like ski movies and what I did before like we're taking the same processes and same safety into effect, but it, it really isn't the, the kind of platform to show it. Like ski movies yeah. are there for stoke and getting you ready for the season and yeah. just like pumped up to go skiing. Um, so when they try and put in safety, it's like just kind of a downer and we would put that in and people be like, that movie is boring. <laughs> so here was a, a platform where I felt like I could talk about that and, in a unique way
0: yeah but you, I, I mean I just feel like you guys don't make it boring I find it really interesting as well
1: well that's good to hear yeah no well I think it just naturally it's not boring um trying to make decisions in the mountains it's a, it's a fascinating thing and you know we get a lot of uh people saying like you need to show that every episode and they're like well we don't do it every time yeah. but when it is like the main focus like if avalanche um stability is our biggest concern, then we're going to be talking about that a lot. But if it's like physical fitness to get to there or the, the challenge to get there or whatever, then we're going to talk about that. So I, it's like the body of work, um, you know, the 50 episodes plus that'll be out there, you'll see a little bit of everything that goes into climbing and skiing, these kind of lines.
0: Yeah. Well, so your second rule is, is this fun?
1: yeah yeah have
0: fun yeah have fun Um, (laughs) and that's
1: yeah and that's mainly just in the way that like a lot of the times you could survival ski your way down and sometimes we do um but i want to make sure it's not just on this borderline of like we're just doing it to do it um and sometimes it's fun to challenge yourself to ski in horrible conditions like i find joy in placing a uh critical turn over serious exposure and terrible conditions it's something i'm not used to so i find some excitement out of that but at the same time if there's a there's a point where you're just uh um you just kind of trying to say like no if this isn't that fun um then i'm going to
0: turn around the third rule of the 50 is or i guess is it rule or like question
1: uh the yeah, no, I guess it's, I kind of think it's their priorities. And the third priority is do all 50. Yeah. Um, and that's just because it's like, yeah, that's, that is the ultimate goal. But I want to say that that's the third goal. Um, you know, it's uh, don't die, have fun, and then try and do all the 50, because, uh, yeah, that is, that is the primary goal.
0: <laughs> How do you balance the have fun? with the like type two fun where you know you just have a miserable day or like a sufferfest day and then um but that still counts as fun because later you can joke about it with your buddies
1: yeah no definitely um the Type two fun is is still very fun, and it, it took me a long time to realize that. I think for a long time I did not like featuring, and I actually still hate running. I, I just <laughs> can't get into it for some reason. But you realize there's this uh, there's this fun at the end of the tunnel from for suffering. and mean, even if, when you're in the middle of it, you cannot even foresee it. You're like, this sucks, this is terrible, and then you get through it, and then you're kind of like, wow, like that was that was rad and i have a lot of fun and would i do that again you're like yeah, in a heartbeat but uh in the middle of it you're quite often wanting to just turn around and call it a day especially when
2: skiing because
1: you're like well i could just ski back down and i'm done with this but um yeah no it's something that's uh I don't, the the science behind type two fun has got to be something really weird because <laughs> i don't understand why you can suffer all day and, and completely enjoy it yeah
0: my wife compares climbing mountains to like childbirth where in, right. the, in the middle of it you're just like what am i doing and then a couple of days later or whatever like a few weeks later a year later you're like i could totally do that again that was cool
1: <laughs> yeah totally it must be that's i mean maybe childbirth is just type two fun
0: <laughs> right? but i don't know
1: they they still you know the science says that the, the women are can suffer with pain far more than we can and childbirth is probably something we will never be able to understand so maybe there's just this inner femininity in us that uh, wants to make ourselves suffer and try oh, and maybe. Feel, feel like what the what women feel like
0: yeah that's true i think a t-shirt should say childbirth it's just type two fun <laughs>
1: yeah totally yeah yeah we, um, we get that get that approved we'll see if it goes
0: fly through i mean the first to approve, i would have to get my wife to approve it and i don't think that's happening yeah yeah, she's yeah. Like... okay well then <laughs>
1: so in typical fashion it's guys coming up with creative creative ideas for women that doesn't work out so <laughs> <Yeah>. cool
0: <laughs> idea um,
1: conversation over
0: <laughs> um I wanted to ask you this. Uh, so you have a, a guy with you who, f- who's the filmmaker, uh, Bjarne, and he just seems like such a cool collected guy who has a, all sorts of experience in the mountains. So I just wanted to ask like how much confidence does having Bjarne with you like bring to the project?
1: Well, he's just a, he's like another partner for this, for this project. Um, he, yeah, so his backstory is that he was a cinematographer for one of the most infamous and best ski mountaineers of all time, Andreas Bronson. He was one of his they were like best friends, traveled the world together, lived in Chamonix together, and did some like seriously groundbreaking lines together. And um Bjarne was along his side. Um unfortunately, Andreas passed away a few years ago. Um, since then, uh he b r a moved to the united to the u s, left Chamonix, and was still kind of pursuing filmmaking and whatnot. and still was doing some ski projects. We met in two thousand and fifteen on the uh, that trip to Svalbard I was talking about. And it was just such like a cool, calm super nice, friendly dude and can move through mountains really, really well that it was kind of a no brainer for me to hire him for this project and bring him alongside because it was like, he, he was living in the West coast. Um, He has, you know, there's only like maybe five people in the world that can do what he does. And so it's like, well, he's the guy and uh, yeah, he's come alongside and he's just been, he's been the ultimate partner in this and what's more than anything, like he has a lot of strong technical skills. He can get across, he can get up and down anything with with a heavier pack and camera equipment. But um, he also, we have the very similar risk tolerances and very similar decision-making skills. And so it's, it's a, it's a really good partnership. Like he, you know in one of the episodes he's the one that decides he's like we should turn around all right cool and and other episodes i'm the one that's deciding to turn around so um it's good to have a partner like that because uh, we keep each other more safe
0: yeah well that's the one i was thinking of when he made the decision to turn around and then like literally the whole group you're with is like okay well if bjarne is saying it we need to turn around (laughs)
1: Yeah, totally. Well, it's because he has a ton of experience in those yeah. situations, and we we were all hesitant. Of of all things, I was actually the most confident. I'm like, we can get through this, um, we'll we'll be fine. But when someone like that, without experience, says, i turn around," then turn around. And you know, the same goes for me. And I think he has a respect for just my experience in the mountains, not necessarily ski mountaineering. Just just like if I'm like, I don't, this doesn't feel right. He's going to be like, cool, yeah, that's, we're good. Turn around. And um, yeah, it's been it's been really cool because of that that to have that kind of partnership. And I mean, I'm lucky to have someone who came into this project with more experience um, in ski mountaineering and steep skiing than I did. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. And you know, it's the uh, cameramen behind it are the unheralded kind of side of the sport. Except if you're Jimmy Chin,
0: then you're the hero. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that was. I'm sure I'm probably it's it's probably similar for a lot of people that was the first one that i watched and i think that was one of the first ones that came up on like the youtube you know how youtube figures out what you're interested in (laughs) and so that one came up and i watched it and i'm just like whoa this is this one that one ended up like being one of the craziest episodes as you climb the grand teton just because of the amount of like wind you guys were facing yeah,
1: no, we we had a lot of shit thrown our way that day. And um, I will say, yeah, thanks to Jimmy, because he's, you know, an Oscar winner and one of the most famous people in the world right now. Uh, just a lot of people found the project through him. And he has happened to be a good buddy. And I would really, I've always wanted to do the grand with him and uh, was uh, incredibly lucky to go out there and with him. And, you know, it's one of the unique parts of the project has been able to linking up with like, whether they're local heroes, underground heroes, or like full-blown heroes like uh, Jimmy and going into their ma- local mountain ranges and learning from them. And that day with Jimmy was like, it was really cool. I learned more about mountains through him. And, you know, here's a guy who's done Maru, one of the most bold ascents of any climbing expedition of all time, and you're climbing the ground with him and getting to learn his lessons that he's learned from guys like Colin at anchor and Alex Lowe and all these guys. And so it was really, really special. And, you know, then the variables that got thrown our way that day and, you know, navigating through them, it's like part of the thing that attracts me to mountain so much of of those crucial mo- moments of decision-making, whether you can persevere through it or whether you feel like we need to turn around.
0: Yeah. So what did you learn based off of like his decision-making in that experience?
1: Well, it's really subtle. And it's like what he said was just like, you go up until it doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. And it was kind of this notion. Sometimes I feel like I was almost premature to turning around. It's like the wind of that day. And I was like, dude, this was just not the day to do it. But he was kind of like, look, he's like, you go around till it stops making sense. And you kind of start uh, evaluating the actual hazard, the rationality of it. You realize like ripping, 70-mile-an-hour wind on the side of a mountain clinging on above exposure when it's freezing cold, like, that tells you a lot of parts of your brain to just, like, get out of there. It's not comfortable. It's not, it's not fun. There's nothing about it that is saying, like, no, just keep moving up. But then you start to break it down rationally, and you're like, well, what is the actual hazard with this wind? And you're like, well, right now there's no wind loading up there because knowing he knows the slopes well and knowing the route well enough, there's not – the, it's, the wind isn't forming a specific hazard that is gonna make us turn around. It's just really uncomfortable. um there is some hazard of maybe getting blown off or um losing equipment or whatnot. But let's just keep going till we get to n- nearly that point like and uh so we just kept moving up and we persevered through it and had an incredible day. I mean, the skiing was awful on it, but uh i it was like still stands out as like one of my favorite lines of this entire project because of of the lessons I learned from it. And because of the challenges that were thrown away on the Grand Teton.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you just about a couple of specific episodes. Um, (laughs) I watched a bunch of them with my six year old daughter. And so (laughs) as we were watching them, I was just writing down things uh, she was saying.
1: Yeah, that's um, all hopefully not. Hopefully not my propensity for a prop potty mouth. I've been trying to clean that up.
0: There was a couple. It went so over her head because I'm like, "Yeah, hey, don't say that." And she goes, "Say what?" And I'm like, "Never mind." <laughs> um, Ooh, but I, <laughs> but I will say, we watched Pyramid Peak. I think that was the first one she watched with me, and I'm pretty sure it was her first swear word that she said because you like look down this giant cliff and she just goes shit and i was like what'd you say (laughs) yeah yeah no that's uh that that was definitely an intense one that that
1: line had some exposure
0: (laughs) yeah well and then her uh her comment was why do they not just slide down on their butts because i think she's like that's what i would do
1: yeah, totally. Well, because we're much more confident in our skis. Uh, ultimately, your your butt is a rounded thing, and your skis have very sharp edges, so you're able to, to cling aboard. Um, you know, it's one of the things I actually find skiing down things, and maybe this is me for being a skier, but yeah. as a skier, when you start to climb stuff, you actually, it feels way more scary because you're like, I'm just on my feet above a serious exposure, I'm something super steep. You flip it around, and you're on your skis, and you're like... Ah, I feel so much better. Um, that's like been part of my process through this. Like last year, I was getting scared on climbs this year. I'm way less scared. Cause you realize like you learn, you're like, Oh, you're not going to fall. Um, it's totally fine. But, um, skiing down stuff, uh, when done correctly, can be a very safe way to get down the mountain.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I actually was going to ask you about that. Like when you're going up and you mentioned this year feeling more comfortable with it, which makes sense, like, as you're getting more used to doing this whole process. But, like, as you're going up, is it in the back of your mind the whole entire time, like, oh, my God, I have to, like, ski down this somehow? Or, like, being a pro skier, are you, like, I'm cool with the skiing down part It's the going up that's kind of intimidating?
1: Yeah, think 95% of the time, it's just, like, uh, get up there some uh, I, I can get back down it. but you are evaluating on the way up as to whether the conditions are good enough to ski down. I would say the one line last year, episode eight, I want to say Sphinx, was the first time in my life where I was kind of like, I don't know if I can ski back down this, and we might have to down down climb this entire thing. And that's what really petrified me. I'd skied in Alaska for 12 years and just was like very comfortable on steeps. And then all of a sudden, because it was such hard pack and the snow was so bad. Yeah. It was my first time I realized like, man, like, shit, I don't know if I can ski back down this. Is this like, this is steep and icy and rock hard. And, um, that's what really petrified me. And that was kind of the only time I've ever been feel like, I don't know, like, I hope, I hope I can figure out how to ski down this because I definitely don't want to it, But, um, most of the time i'm like get me all my skis here comes the fun part
0: yeah yeah for sure my daughter's review of the sphinx which we also watched yesterday morning was i don't want to climb up any mountains
1: (laughs) yeah there's definitely a little bit of that that one was very you know we try to show a lot of it's trying to show my emotion through this i guess and i was scared i was unnaturally scared that day. I shouldn't have been that scared. Everything was pointing to it being fine, not necessarily for skiing, but you were safe on the way up, and you were going to be safe on the way down, but day started off wrong. Everything, all my prior experiences in Alaska didn't set me up for that day well. It just felt entirely new. It felt like I was doing this for the first time ever skiing, and uh, so it scared the crap out of me. So we try to you know we try to make sure we put that in the episode and we try and you know my my goal with the episodes has always been make the audience feel like they're on my shoulder the whole time and bring them through the process so if there's intense music it's because yeah i was probably pretty nervous at that point yeah. um just like pyramid peak you know we had some pretty intense like uh fear-inducing kind of music and that was because yeah it was like you made one wrong turn it was game over
0: yeah well, how do you face the fear then? like, I mean, because there is a certain extent of having to understand, like, yeah, like this is scary and I have the fear, but I also am going to face this like how do how do you do that mentally?
1: It's all baby steps. It's all prior experiences. Yeah. that's the way I look at it. It's just you I tend to. Try to get very rational. Um, I try to look at your experiences from when you were a kid to that point that led you through that point. um, I try and look at anything that compares to it. I then break down, like, what are the actual hazards? Like, what is the scary part of it? So, like, on Pyramid Peak, like, it's hyperexposed. Your brain, is everything is telling you, like, don't fall, otherwise you're going off a 500-foot cliff and you're dead. But then you're like, how often do I fall when I'm going one mile an hour and making a hop turn? They're like, I've still yet to fall doing that. They're like, okay, well, what is the other hazard? You're like, well, it's kind of thin. There's some rocks here and there. So you're going to have to be even extra careful that you don't like, make a turn and snap onto a rock and then go over the bars and start tumbling. And so you just really break it down rationally and then once you get down to that point then it's pretty i feel like it's pretty easy you remove the um you remove the essentially the emotion out of it and uh yeah it's still there um but you know it's it's kind of why i look to alex honnold as such a hero because here's a guy who can control fear through hyper rationality better than any human alive um we talk about clutch football players and stuff like that you're like yeah it's pretty clutch to be make a climbing move where uh, a false slip is your death whereas like if i don't make this pass in the super bowl I don't win the Super Bowl, but I'm still getting paid like yeah. ten million a year. Yeah. So, yeah, so for so for me, that mental control is it's pretty fascinating, and that's kind of what I try and draw from.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I showed the trailer for Free Solo to my uh, leadership class because we're talking about focus, and mm-hmm. the kids were legitimately like almost standing on their desk or like huddled under their desk, freaking out about it. And I was like, Yeah, 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 this is real. This is a real feeling and emotion that you guys are going through. But think about like what this guy has to do to control it in that moment. He can't think about it the same way that you guys are thinking about it right now.
1: Yeah, totally. No, he he removes um fear entirely from the equation. And you remove emotion and it's like it's kind of incredible what you can do
0: yeah well and i know you've talked about joffrey m- many times but that was just uh just i mean for you it, was, it had to have been like one of the most bizarre kind of intense experiences that you've had um, uh, the rescue or the, m- the mountain falling uh, down <laughs> yeah well the whole entire thing the whole thing looked crazy um but the rescue especially because it's like the chances that you see this guy fall and get injured is so incredibly minuscule it's pretty much like a miracle that you guys were there and that you looked at the right moment at the right spot of the mountain
1: yeah no it there's so many things that happened that that i look back and i'm like that is just strange like i'm definitely more on the science base of things of, but you know what is the the uh power of coincidence and like there's a lot of things i can show to coincidence but there's things like three days prior i talk about the people um that fell down all the central and died and just that's what i set up the show and then i set up the show by saying the episode by like yeah people are saying this is not going to be skiable for very much longer and then the entire mountain fell down <sighs> that in face this this last spring last may that's Um crazy. so you're like Okay, two things came true. And then that day, that rescue, yeah. We went out there that day. The conditions were terrible. We decided, let's go just try it. Let's go go up it until we feel like, you know, we couldn't ski back down and let's turn around. Like, let's just go up there without any preconceived notions that we're going to do this and just, let's just go see. And then we skied it su- successfully. And then the fact um, that... I was at the bottom and turned around at that very moment that the guy was falling and there's some like crazy sad of how your eyes can see things in motion way, 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 way easier than it can see things static. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's like a survival technique. You know, all of a sudden you just see like a movement in the forest and your, mind, your brain just goes like, Whoa, what was that? And so the fact I saw him moving, I think alerted my brain to it because he was a speck at that point. I thought it was a rock fall or a bird. That's how small it was. And then seeing it and realizing it was a human um, and then paralleling it with, I had to spend like a minute trying to point it out to like uh, to Bjarne where he was and what it was. He's like, I don't, what are you talking about? I'm like, dude, some guy just fell down. It And then considering we were the only other people in that entire zone that day and we happened to see it and he was by himself like it is a miracle that he we were there and you know we got to essentially rescue him and get him out of the mountains because he was well, was not going to survive without rescue
2: yeah
0: yeah well and then i just i really appreciated the next kind of you know when you guys talked about the steps you guys took to you know go through with the rescue um because i think obviously for people doing what you are doing um that learning curve about how to be safe out there there's just so much involved in it that most regular folks who aren't out there doing ski mountaineering like don't really consider don't think about
1: yeah and that was what we tried to um illustrate in that bonus episode was just like there's a lot of new technology out there and there's a lot of uh, things like a you know a satellite transponder, like a baby stick kind of deal that I can send out for help. But the thing is, I don't think people necessarily they maybe buy it and then they're like, cool, we're good. But yeah. when you start to understand the rescue dynamics that happen in the mountains, and I've been lucky enough to be around search and rescue people for a decade, around guys around helicopters, I've seen rescues. I just know how they work. And then when those, you know, devices came out, I started like talking to certain rescue people. I'm like, how does it actually work? And, you know, they're telling me, it's like, you know, you'd be lucky if someone is there in two hours after hitting that, like everything would have to go perfectly. Um, but you're most likely looking at an absolute bare minimum of three hours, if not overnight, um, which there's a lot of antidotes of people, you know, pressing it at like noon and you happen to spend the night out there. So, um, Understanding that process was what led us to making the decision of, which was a tough decision of Bjarne and I splitting up and me going for help and calling a heli operation um, and, uh, you know, getting 911 and getting search and rescue on the phone so I could exactly describe the situation and, and let them know that both these people are out there not going to survive the night so you need to get out there before sun goes down and we have one hour before it's pitch pitch black so um that helped that helped. you know if we just push the button who knows so um but without that knowledge we might have just pushed a button and waited so having that knowledge was allowed us to make better decisions and that was what i tried to reiterate in the set bonus episode is like understand these systems um, because it'll help empower you make better decisions Yeah, that can be like life and death
0: decisions. Yeah. Well, so I mean, to kind of start wrapping up here, like um, you know, you obviously had to make the decision to call it just like everyone has had to make the decision about everything right now. Um, and I'm I'm sure that couldn't have been easy for you. And I know there's a lot being written about um, because I'm in Colorado and I know there's a lot being written about, like, hey, like, don't put yourself at uh, at risk right now because we need all the resources, obviously, in hospitals for like the covid um, virus. Um, So can you kind of like talk a little bit about your decision and your feelings like, you know in the last few weeks, like, as you've had to basically be like, Hey, this project in prime time right now, when the project would be going on, we're going to have to, we're going to have to kind of like, you know, call it for the year.
1: Yeah, no, it was probably the hardest decision I've had to make yet. We, there is certain lines. There's one line in particular. It's only been skied once that I know is in condition right now and that's where we're headed. Um, so to, look at this project that's only been, you know, like a line that's only been skipped once and hasn't been filled in for five, six years and have to turn your back on that. That's like everything I've been working for and to turn your back on it was really hard. And there was parts of me that was saying like, look, we can do this safely. Like the fact is. If anything goes wrong on most of these lines it's mainly a body bag rescue and not just an actual rescue yeah. um, plus we are very cautious in the way we approach these lines uh, we are in the back country we're away from people we're in small towns and whatnot and all these things I was like really contemplating i was like i bet we could do this and we could do it safe and i'm still convinced we can do it we could do it safely and then it kind of dawned on me it was like you know like that's not the responsible thing to do. And a lot of this project is about making the responsible decision and that's putting uh, the number thing three priority um, to complete all 50 and into the number one priority. And that goes against your principles. Um, But it was, you know, it's hard. This is what I dedicate my life to. It's everything I get joy and pleasure and work and everything out of. And we're in the absolute March, April, May is like, the, our season that is the three months when the biggest lines the most challenging lines are in condition and to call it during that period was was really tough but it's the right decision and we uh tried to pride ourselves on showing what the right decision is so here it was like it's right staring you right in the face don't be selfish yeah. this is the right decision to do and um yeah and it's i mean hell it to to have to make that kind of decision just shows how lucky of a position and person I am, because it's like there are people that are trying to make a decision between food and paying their uh, uh, bills for electricity right now. They're that have lost their jobs and are looking at complete financial and personal ruin. There are people dying right now. And when scientists are telling us to shut it down and stay at home, Then that's the good call. And to be wrestling with this personal decision, you're like, okay, this is real, real small potatoes. Cody, like, dad, this skiing thing. You're lucky enough to be a professional skier, and to like dwell on the fact you're not, you don't get to go professionally skiing right now. Like, you're 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 a lucky position. So shut her down hang out at home, be a part of the solution. And, uh, hopefully, you know, we can figure this out and get through this time. That's going to define a lot of our lives.
0: Yeah, definitely, man. Well, so how does a guy with a lot of energy like you, (laughs) like how are you spending your time right now?
1: Oh God. Yeah. Um, just trying to work out at home as much as possible. It's not the same. Um,
0: a lot of, a lot
1: of cooking. Um, I've, complete i've cleaned and reorganized my gear like three times already i'm working on my garage i'm working on my downstairs all the house projects that i've been wanting to do um luckily i got a lot of content that i'm still trying to put out there and even create bonus episodes in my garage which i can do to keep people entertained through this so uh working on the content side of things getting out there and just um yeah trying to stay in shape in any sort of way i can in case like you know, May we get this under control and maybe we can go hit some of the, the May and June lines potentially. But for the most part, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's it's, it's it's This is the longest time I've spent at home consecutively in almost two years. I've been home for three weeks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and to tie it back to something you said earlier, when you're talking about the mountains and you just kind of have to take what the mountain gives you, I just feel like that's all training for this real life situation where it's the same idea. You're like, you just gotta, we just gotta take what it gives us right now. And, you know, and when it is allows us to actually like go out and, you know, resume our, our lives in whatever form or fashion that's going to look like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's... This will pass, and uh, we'll be stronger and better because of it. I know certain people won't, and let's try and help those people out um, to get back to normal. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's do what we can to, to solve this thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I Don't make the mistake I did today, which is I went on Google Earth with my daughter while I was trying to teach her uh, about um, like national parks and stuff. And then I just started looking at random trails and mountains that I wanted to to go to. And then we got, mm-hmm. it was seriously like an hour and a half of just making a list of like, okay, and then we're going to do this. And then after that, we're going to yeah. do this one.
1: <laughs> yeah. I definitely believe we're all going to cherish it a little bit more yeah. um, after this.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. Well, Hey, like uh, to, to finish up here, like where can people kind of follow your adventures? Um, and and check everything out obviously the 50 on youtube is something like you definitely need to see and i'll be posting about it a bunch um before i put this put this episode out so
1: yeah so there the project is the 50 on on youtube you can google search my name cody townsend on there it'll pop up or the 50 or whatever it's probably going to pop up um otherwise at cody townsend on instagram is another good way to follow it and then um yeah, those are uh, those are the main primary feeds on Twitter too. But you know, uh, Twitter's a cesspool of negativity. Oh my god! So, yeah, yeah, the,
0: the other t- tip is stay off Twitter.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, stay off Twitter. I know I'm I'm more of a Twitter guy than an Instagram guy, and it's just I realize how much I'm actually now shifting towards uh towards Instagram because it's just not like oh my god, oh my god, yeah, that, oh this sucks. So <laughs> but yeah, um, but in the meantime, yeah, I'll see. You if your audience if you're listening you want some to binge watch hours of footage We got 25 episodes uh, actually probably like 28 with a bonus episode so
0: i'm telling you it's guys. so good <laughs> i was watching it before like before school was canceled i would go wake up go for my run and then watch it while i ate breakfast before i went into school and i would just be like oh yeah this is an awesome like i would just you know, it would be like you had an adventure before you went about your normal day. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Like yeah. I said, that was the goal to bring people along for the ride. But, yeah, but, so then,
0: you. but then you guys are always drinking beer at the end, and, you know, at 6 in the morning, that's like, oh, yeah, that's not okay at 6 in the morning. I mean.
1: <laughs> yeah, No, totally. Don't, don't drink beer at 6 in the morning, but definitely drink a beer at the end of your day. <laughs> like throw, throw in a supper fest in your cooler, and you get back to the car, man. After a Type Two Funday, there's nothing that tastes better than a good beer. It's the
0: greatest beer you'll ever have, is after a Type Two Funday.
1: It's so good.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you, Cody, and uh, yeah, definitely check that stuff out.
1: Cool. Well, uh, thank you, Chris, and uh, uh, you have uh, enjoy your downtime and your time away from school, and uh, all the best to you.
0: Yeah, thanks, man. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up the show this week. cody you're amazing you're incredible dude thank you so much i'm so appreciative and just so happy that i was able to uh kind of pick your brain for an hour and and hear about your adventures keep sharing them keep having them uh you're just so so inspiring um so like i said and i think we just said it in the podcast probably but if you are interested in any of the things that we talked about on the show um you can go to cody's youtube page uh it's cody townsend um specifically the project is the 50 um and he's just putting out high quality stuff uh i think we mentioned some of my favorite episodes in the podcast but Honestly, like each episode has something special uh, that it brings to the table. So I think I said in the intro, whether that's, you know, being goofy or whether that's having a good time with his friends out on the mountain or whether that's doing. (laughs) I mean, you just got to see the last one uh, was the sickle in Idaho with his wife and they do this crazy long adventure. Like it takes them the whole, like sunrise to sunset, um, be and beyond. Uh, and they climb this pretty scary looking, you know, uh, couloir in Idaho. And they get to the top and realize, like, we're not gonna be able to actually like ski this. And they have to like sidestep most of the way down. And it's just, it's just each mountains bringing this completely new experience for him. And it's, it's really interesting, really fascinating. And like I said, he just does a really good job explaining his thought process and using humor and, and just being open and honest. And I think we talked about a lot of my favorite ones uh, on the show, but like I said, really all of them check them all out, you know, you can jump in whenever, but starting at episode one, watching him on this journey uh, is really, really cool. So I, like I said, I'm a fan. I can't wait to see more. Uh, can't wait to see the last one that he's putting out in a few weeks. Uh, it's it's uh, something I'm definitely looking forward to, um, you know, especially right now, like having and I was actually just talking. We, we talked to my buddy, Paul Shearing, a few episodes ago. And it was kind of like right when all this was going down. And I always I wanted to talk to Paul because, you know, he's just a wise man. And that episode was, was a really fun episode of the podcast. And he just puts things into perspective with me. Um, I literally just got off the phone with him. And we were talking about like narrowing our focus and trying to come up with these local adventures i mean but doing it in a responsible way so it's hard for me right now because there's this unknown of like when are we going to be able to travel again when are we going to be able to actually like go out into the backcountry again and and to connect it with this show specifically today um i mean what cody's doing is 100 percent the right thing like calling it calling it a year on the project or you know and and doing the socially responsible thing right but I know and I don't want to speak for anybody but people who have this who've had these adventures we have this part of us like man we need to be like working towards something or having something on the horizon that we're looking forward to and um the part that's difficult right now is a lot of that's off the table, but there are people out there who are getting really creative and trying to figure out like, what is a quote unquote adventure that I can have around my neighborhood or around my household or, you know, in my local area. Um, that's not going to like, obviously put anyone in danger or anything like that. And there's some really cool things that are coming out of it. And so right now for me like you know i'm lucky enough that 5 miles from my house is uh a tiny I, I mean i wouldn't even call it a mountain it would feel weird calling this place a mountain on a podcast with Cody Townsend um but there's this like plateau <laughs> uh open space area and there's a bunch of different trails on it and i just wanted to have an adventure so Basically, I was just like, okay, I'm going to try to run every trail and connect them all and all that. And it was exciting. It was fun. It got me pumped up to go out and go for a run. And it was just like this tiny project that meant nothing to anybody except me, but I was really excited about it. And so I'm trying to try to, in my mind, come up with ways to, to get excited about these tiny adventures. And some of that is just like running around different parts of my neighborhood and trying to find these uh little single track trails that are like kind of on the side of the road um that i didn't know existed before and i'm making this like mental map of the town that i live in that i never have had would have had before because you know i got you know you're stuck in your routine and now we're all like forcibly outside of our routine And so there are these opportunities that are arising for things like that. Um, Another thing for me personally, like one thing that I've enjoyed watching about Cody's videos is he's like able to build stuff and like work on things and like, you know, in his garage and like looks manly and stuff. Meanwhile, I go out to my garage and I'm like, I have this tiny tool, this this super tiny like bag of tools and it's bright pink because it's my wife's bag of tools, right? (laughs) I'm not like a handyman. Uh, I'm fully admitting that right now on the show, but I I would like to become more, you know, I would like to become able to actually like do some stuff and build some stuff and fix things and whatnot. Um, And I'm kind of like, there's no better time than right now to learn that. So um, that's kind of something I'm hoping to pursue over the next few weeks too. So um, I guess just from sharing all that, if you're still listening, go out and like try to create something that you're excited about, whatever that is. Um, whether that's a new route around your neighborhood or, you know, I don't know. But try to go out and do something that is exciting you. And you, it's, it's a little bit more challenging right now. We have to kind of um, invent these ourselves and get excited for them. But I think there's a cool opportunity to like narrow our focus right now and and really work on on that kind of aspect of of an adventure so i hope you guys are doing that i'm trying it as best i can i hope you're doing as best you can um you know we're gonna power through you know but but part of that is just staying passionate and optimistic and and you know and positive so i hope you guys are out there doing that um yeah and that kind of all spurred from my from my phone call with my buddy paul (laughs) uh yeah once again thanks for cody watch the 50 project right now on youtube and uh i hope you guys enjoy it as much as me and thousands of other people have because it's like i said it's just really good so all right we'll get back at you next week see ya